I uh, really like the bulletin cover that Robin picked out this week. Talking about prayer. We're to pray hard. We're to pray without ceasing. We're to pray long. We're to pray with faith. And we're to pray specifically. I like that. Is it easy? If it was easy, it wouldn't say pray hard. <laughs> if it was easy, it wouldn't say pray without ceasing. <laughs> if it was easy, well, maybe we would pray long. Um, but faith is an issue of prayer that challenges all of us, doesn't it? And then specifically, I think specifically is a really, that can be a deep subject, how we pray specifically. So we're talking about prayer today. We want to continue to talk about prayer. What does it mean to pray? What does it mean to pray? Last week we discussed Jesus' perspective of prayer and how he prayed and, and the significant difference maker it was in his life in how Jesus prayed. Now, we don't know specifically how Jesus prayed. We don't know specifically what he said when he prayed. But we do know he prayed, and we do know he prayed a lot. The Bible has many references of Jesus' prayer time. We did discover, I think, last week that probably one of the biggest things that Jesus prayed for, and I think we can back this up with Scripture. We'll do that today a little bit more again, I believe. But I really think that what Jesus prayed for mostly in his prayer time was about his relationship with his father. I got to imagine that Jesus missed his father. Now, again, Jesus was fully man, and he was fully God at the same time. It's hard to understand that. But I think we have to focus more on his fully manhood so that we then can appreciate what he did for us. He came and he became fully human with all of the fears and all of the doubts and all of the concerns and all of the issues of humanity. Otherwise, he couldn't have been the sacrifice for us. Man sinned, therefore it took a man to provide the sacrifice in Jesus Christ. It had to be a perfect man, and Jesus was the only perfect one. So I think when he prayed, I think Jesus went into a time of wanting to make sure that he did nothing to hinder or break the relationship that he had as a man with God the Father. This is hard for us maybe to appreciate. Maybe it's pretty deep. But I know that it was significant enough because the disciples saw it in his life. They saw the significance of his prayer time because they asked him in Luke chapter 11, verse 1, they asked, they asked Jesus to teach them to pray. And we said this last week. Notice that the disciples didn't ask Jesus to teach him how to do anything else but to pray. Didn't ask him to teach him how to do miracles or walk on water or feed 5,000 people or cast demons out. He said, teach us to pray. So prayer must be that important. And today I want to continue to talk about prayer but I want to talk about how important it is that we protect it. We protect the relationship that we have, and we guard the relationship that we have with the Lord, that we don't let it become menial and trivial, that we recognize the, 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 the awesomeness of God, and that we have the privilege to come into relationship with Him. Now, it's also important for us to recognize that our enemy, the devil, sees that primary element of prayer and relationship and he doesn't like it. The enemy doesn't like it if we're going to develop a relationship with God our Father. He lost his relationship with God. He walked away from it and he was cast out and rejected forever. So he does not like it when we as God's creation God and created in God's own image, he doesn't like it when we begin to develop a relationship with our Father in heaven. He doesn't like it. So he will do everything he can to continue to break it. He will do everything he can to continue to discourage us from praying and for developing a relationship at all. It's important that we recognize that we have an enemy that is against our prayer time. 
and that he will do everything he can to steal it from us. Think about this for a minute. If you have something that's really valuable, there's a strong possibility that something or someone is probably going to try to steal it from you. In this world we live in, if I walked around with a chunk of gold in my pocket or a few hundred dollars in my wallet, chances are somebody probably would like to take it away from me. <laughs> if it's valuable, it's valuable not only to me but to others. And if it's that valuable, then it only makes sense that whatever that thing is, that we will protect it, that we will guard it, that we will take good measures to make sure that it isn't stolen from us. Now, on the other hand, if it's not valuable to me, and if I don't feel that it's worth protecting, then I won't protect it. And I will let it go easily. And I wouldn't miss it if it's gone. So as I begin this, and I started to study about this again, I started thinking about, and I started asking myself, Mike, the question for me, and let me ask it to you, and that is how valuable to you is your prayer life? How valuable is it to you? Is it valuable? Would you miss it if you didn't have it? Yeah. Well, if someone stole it from you. I, I guess the most basic question is, do we have one? Do we have a prayer life? Now, I don't want you to raise your hands here, and I'm not being critical, and I'm not being, I'm not being uh, trying to, 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 to cause problems. I'm just being honest. I just want us to recognize. I just want us to evaluate our own life. Do I have a prayer life? Is there a time in my life that I set apart on a regular basis that I go before the Lord and I pray? That's a good question. And the reason I'm asking, the reason I know it's a good question is because I sat in your place a lot more than I've been in the pastor's place, and so I would ask myself that question when I was in the business world, and I know how busy life gets, and I know how, how hectic it gets, and I'm not so sure what my prayer life was when I was not a pastor, and I'm not so sure what it is right now, quite honestly. Can I just be honest with you? Prayer time is a time that is very important. And do I truly understand it? Do I truly grasp it? Do I really, truly have a prayer life that Jesus did? And you could say, well, Jesus was Jesus, and therefore he had to have a prayer life. Or you could say, well, you're the pastor, and you get paid to pray, so you better have a prayer life. But me, I, I don't get paid to pray. So therefore, I, I'm, 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 I'm exempt. Well, follow with me here today. How much do I really value my time with the Lord? And how important truly is it to my daily life? We'll come back later to that question. But can I just say this morning with quite a lot of confidence that the secret to a viable Christian life is found in the person that spends quality time with God on a regular basis. If you're going to have a powerful Christian life, then you must have a relationship with God. It doesn't make any difference if you're a teen or a senior. Your level of relationship with God is based upon your personal prayer time with him. The personal time, the, the amount of time that you spend with Jesus determines your effectiveness as a Christian. Does that make sense? Yeah. See, the devil knows this as well. And he's very active in trying to convince you and I that we don't need to pray as much as the pastor is trying to tell you that you need to pray. He's doing everything he can right now to marginalize this comment. Everything he can to say, nah, he's radical. He's fanatical. No, I, I can just be this nominal Christian that still wants everything God wants from me, but not have to put in the time. Remember, prayer is about relationship with our Heavenly Father. Prayer is about relationship just as it was for Jesus. First of all, that relationship came at great cost. Recognize how important it is. Recognize the cost that Jesus gave up so that you and I can have relationship with God the Father. Jesus gave his life on the cross so that you and I can have that relationship. It came at great cost. Secondly, the enemy who was defeated by that death and resurrection of Christ, 
He wants nothing more than you and I not to have that relationship. He will go to the nth degree to prohibit or to inhibit or to distract or to hinder that relationship that you and I could have, should have. Thirdly, the enemy wants to make sure that if I do have that relationship with the Lord, that he wants to minimize it. He wants to destroy it. And if he can't destroy it, he will try to diminish it. He will try to reduce it. He will try to weaken it. He will bring all kinds of hindrances into a person's life to stress that relationship that we have with our Father. And that's exactly why today we need to talk about the, the importance of protecting our prayer time, protecting that relationship with the, head, with the Lord. Now, let me make a statement here that I believe is very safe to make. The miracles that Jesus performed, the miracles that he performed when he was on this earth were not because he was God, but because he was man living in perfect relationship with his Father. The miracles that Jesus did here are a result of his prayer time, are a result of him staying in relationship with God the Father. They weren't because he was God. I don't see anywhere in Scripture where Jesus put on a different hat. He walked the road of manhood for a while, then said, oh, guys, i got to go in the telephone booth and take off my robe and become super God, Superman. He never, he never changed his identity before he did a miracle. He was man in perfect relationship with God, and that gave him the authority to perform miracles. Amen? That's true. That's, that's, that's biblical. That's, that's right what the Bible says. So the, the secret here, then, is his prayer life. The secret is then that he had an opportunity and took it to make sure that he spent enough time with his Father in heaven to make sure that he knew the will of his Father in heaven so that when he did walk the road of manhood and he came upon a problem, he knew how to handle it of the way the Father wanted him to handle it. I, I don't see any way here that Jesus ever did anything where he did something and then he tried to convince the Father to agree with him. I think... Bible is very clear. In fact, I'm going to reference these scriptures that we referenced last week. I want us to make sure that we recognize that Jesus prayed up the Father's will before he ever made a statement. Open your Bible with me or look in the screen or write these down. There was, it's all on that piece of paper that was handed out if you took it earlier. John chapter 4, verse 34. Jesus said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me to finish his work, not my work, his work. John chapter 5, verse 19 and 20, Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. A little bit further down in that same chapter of John chapter 5, verse 30, my, by myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. The next chapter over, John chapter 6, verse 38, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. John chapter 12, verse 49, For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. Again, I've never seen Jesus go out on a limb and then say, man, I hope God's going to got my back on this one. I see him being prayed up. I see him being in relationship. Can we grasp this concept that Jesus was in such a good relationship with the Father that he never stepped out of God's will? Now, let's just pause here for a minute and think about that. He never stepped out of the will of his Father. And, he's, and he didn't, and, and it wasn't because he was God. It was because he was a man in perfect relationship with his Father. That's the power of prayer. That's why prayer is more than just saying, God, give me, give me, give me. No, prayer is just coming in, kind of like we did earlier today. Coming into his presence and just being relaxed in it. And being comfortable in it. And allowing him to talk to us and allowing him to share with us what he would have us to do. Being willing to listen. Prayer is not me talking all the time. 
Prayer is me sitting and listening and just inviting the presence of God in my life. That's prayer. That's the kind of prayer that, give up, that get, gives us that relationship that Jesus had. That's the kind of prayer that Jesus, I'm, I'm probably sure that Jesus listened more than he talked. Probably listened to his father more than he told his father what he needed. That's relationship. Jesus never did anything on his own and went back to God and tried to get him to bless it. <laughs> Have you or I ever been guilty of that? <laughs> Have I ever gone out on, to do something and say, God, um, would you bless what I just did? <laughs> oh, God, would you just uh, make this better? <laughs> because I did something kind of stupid because I wasn't prayed up. I, I wasn't in relationship with you. I, I stepped out and some things, and, and now, God, would you bless it? Well, thank the Lord that he's gracious. Thank the Lord that his uh, love is, goes beyond our stupidity. Thank the Lord that he forgives us. Thank the Lord that he has uh, uh, many, many, many second and third and fourth chances. But I want to understand, I, I want us to grasp the concept of trying to get into the will of the Father. And I want to, first of all, tell you that that's a good place to be. It's a good place to be. That's where God created us to when he created Adam and Eve and they walked in the garden with him, they were in his perfect will. That's where we were created to be. Adam and Eve lived in perfect relationship with the Father at all times. They were communing with him and they were spending time with him on a regular basis. It wasn't until they sinned did they stop living in the will of God. It wasn't until sin got involved did they stop living in the will of God. We were created to be in communion and to be in relationship with the Father. That's what it means to say when we were created in his image. It's not that I'm looking like God with my physical appearance. It's my spiritual appearance is created in his image so that I have relationship, so that I'm created to be in relationship with the Father. Like I've already said, we've had, we have an adversary that will go to any lake to keep us in that broken state of relationship. So that's why it's important that we shouldn't be surprised when we struggle trying to figure out God's will. We shouldn't be surprised when we have a hard time figuring that out because we live in a broken world. And the enemy clearly wants to keep us away from that. So I want to review briefly. What is the purpose of prayer? Prayer is building a relationship with God the Father as Jesus had. Prayer is the relationship that Jesus had as a man with his Heavenly Father that gave him the authority and the power to do the mighty miracles that he did on this earth while he walked it. Prayer is everything that we value and it's worth protecting because the enemy wants to steal it from us. He wants to take it away. So where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? Even though that we have an adversary, we know we have an advocate that's stronger. 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. The Living Bible translation says this. It says, my little children. I love it when he calls us little children because that means something good's coming. My little children, I am telling you this so that you will stay away from sin. But if you sin, there is someone to plead you for you before the Father. His name is Jesus. The one who is all that is good and who pleases God completely. He is the one who took God's wrath against our sins upon himself and brought us into fellowship with God. And he is the, he is the forgiveness of our sins, not only ours, but all the world's. You see, we're going to make mistakes, folks. I want to just let you know that. We're going to fail. But when we do understand that we have, a, we have one that is in perfect relationship with God, who is our advocate for us, who is praying for us and is interceding for us, and is Jesus. Now, recognize that we're saved by grace. Thank the Lord we're saved by grace. We're not saved by anything that we do on our own. We all know that. We see that in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. Because of God's great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, 
even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace we have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by work so that none can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God has a plan for you and I. He has a plan of good works for us to accomplish as we stay in relationship with him. Amen. That is good news. Yeah, it's not something to fear. It's not something to run away from. Our relationship that we have with the Lord gives the framework of our life for all that we are supposed to do. All that we're supposed to do, we are given that framework and relationship. And you know what that relationship is? It's being in the family of God. It's being in the family of God. And this is very important. I don't want to minimize this point because if, if I don't get this, if I don't get this point right here, I'm, I'm going to miss it all. We are in the family of God. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son, who is the Holy Spirit, into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. That is the best news I could tell you. It's the best news that I could appreciate. And that is the thing right there that the devil argues against. That is the thing that the devil will come to you and he'll try to tell you, no, you're not a daughter. You're not a son of God. You're a sinner. You are a failure. You are messed up and you've broken the laws and you are just no good. And he will tell you that all your life. See, our relationship of being in the in the, in the family of God gives us a whole new dimension of prayer. When I know that I am in the family of God, I know that there are some, some, some things that are happening now that are outside of the, of the dynamics of this physical world because I am not of this physical world anymore. I am speaking of and I am dwelling in the presence of the Lord. And that gives me authority that I don't have in any, any other way. It gives me an authority to walk differently. It gives me the authority to walk as Jesus walked. Isn't that powerful? I mean, isn't that something, isn't that deep? Hebrews chapter 10, 23 and 25. This is for all of us today because we are part of the body of Christ. It says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promises faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. What I like about this verse is that I can't do this alone. I can't walk this world alone. I need you. I need you. And you need the person sitting next to you. And we need each other. And we are to encourage each other. You know, the key word or the root word of, of, of encourage is courage. When it means to encourage somebody else, it means you are to go to them and say, hey, I'm going to encourage you to have the confidence to carry on, to have courage to carry on, because you can do it. Because you have a relationship with our Father, you can do it. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to give you the confidence to carry on the good work that you're committed and you're doing. That's what it means to encourage somebody. So when you see this, can you see why the enemy is so much against having good, solid family relationships in the church body? Can you see why that divisiveness is his main tool, is to bring an area of, of, of separation of, from believers? Can we see then that we need to stay strong in that and we need to allow the Holy Spirit to keep us there? So this gets me to the point of how do we protect our relationship with the Lord? We've tried to show you how important it is, tried to show you how you have it. You have it through Jesus Christ, through grace. Tried to show you that we are now in the family of God. 
So now let's talk about how do we protect it? Because can we lose it? Can it be stolen from us? Can we walk away from it? Yeah. Yeah, we, we can. It, it can be stolen from us if we're not careful. That's why we're to guard it. That's what we talked about in Sunday school class today, right, Max? We are to guard it. We are to guard what the Holy Spirit gives us and protect it. So how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, first of all, what are some things that can break the relationship with God? Tell me. Shout them out to me. What are some things that can, that can break the relationship? Sin. Any particular kind of sin? You mean there's all kinds of sin that can break a relationship, not just your sin? <laughs> my sin won't break my relationship, but your sin will break yours. It's all the same. Sin. What are some other things besides sin? Choice, apathy, disobedience, lack of commitment, distractions, putting other things before God, busyness of life. Now, when you look at the list, not everything in that list was bad. Now, clearly sin is bad, but sometimes we're just busy with good things. We're just busy with doing things that are good. But yet that can get in the way of my prayer life. So sometimes the enemy will take a good thing and use it as a distraction in my prayer life. It doesn't always have to be the bad things. They're the things that I have to guard against, right? It can be just I'm so busy. Busy with good things. Busy taking care of my family. Busy making a living. Busy uh, working in the church. I can be so busy working in the church that I don't have time to pray. I can, so be, be, I can be so busy about the God's work that I just don't find time in my personal prayer time, but I'm so busy, and it's not bad. I'm doing good things. So the devil can take anything, and he can take anything to grieve the Holy Spirit. We talked about force today. It was such a good class today, Max. Talked about how um, th that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is a force, but He's a person. He has a personality. He loves us. He cares for us. He works on our behalf. We can please Him, or we can grieve Him. Turn in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to stay here for a few minutes. There's quite a few verses I want to read, talking about how we should live our life in a way that we, are, that we don't grieve the Holy Spirit, that we don't use the things of this world to distract and hurt our relationship in prayer. Ephesians chapter 4, start at verse 17. And then we're going to skip down to verse 22 and read some more. Starting at verse 17. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. <laughs> All right, I want you to pay attention is what Paul is telling the Ephesians here. I want you to change your lifestyle a little bit. I don't want you to live in the in the futility of a pagan world, a pagan lifestyle. Then skip down to verse 22. It says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on a new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. It's kind of like what Chris was encouraging us to do today by getting a new wineskin. We can't fill the old wineskin with new wine because it, it won't contain it. It'll burst. It won't last. We need to renew ourselves. We need a new wineskin. That's kind of what he's talking about here. Then continue in verse 25. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Wow, just a foothold. Verse 28, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Basically, what he's saying there is, guys, if you're doing things that are unproductive in the kingdom, stop it. <laughs> I mean, he's just saying, stop it. If you've been stealing, stop stealing. Now, that may seem kind of a weird example to put in here, but if you've been stealing from your relationship with the Lord because you haven't been praying, then stop it. Just start praying. 
Just start doing the things that we're supposed to be doing and stop doing the things that are a hindrance to your life. That's what he's kind of saying here. All right, now he gets into some things. In verse 29, that is going to get in our knickers a little bit here. All right, so hang on. He says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Guys, what are we talking about when we're with our friends? What kind of jokes are we telling? What kind of language do we use? Are we letting the old field language slip out? The little curse words, maybe, that have we've been a part of our past, are they slipping out? That's unwholesome talk. That's a hindrance. Those are the things that break relationship. Continue on. Verse 30, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. The Holy Spirit is grievable by our actions and we can hinder our relationship with the Lord by the things that we say and the way that we live and the choices that we make on a daily basis. What we're talking about here is an urgency of living in the time that we're living in because the world is very confusing and it does not agree with what we're talking about right now. Jesus is adamantly calling out a people that are intentionally walking in a good relationship with his Father so that he can have the authority to work on their behalf. You see, if I'm not living in relationship with God, then I'm taking myself out of his authority to work on my behalf. That's not pleasing God by works. That's by living in right relationship, like Jesus was, that now, because I'm in right relationship, I can be blessed. That I can honor him, and that he will give me the words to speak and the things to do that are powerful in his kingdom. If we're not living in that relationship, we're taking ourselves out from the, the authority of Jesus Christ. If we continue reading in 1 John chapter 2, go back a couple of passages ago, this is a very sobering passage to make sure that we stay in relationship with the Lord. 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6, this is in the Living Bible. It says, And how can we be sure that we belong to him? By looking within ourselves, are we really trying to do what he wants us to do? Questions. The writer here, John, is asking us questions. How can we be sure that we really belong to God? Are we really doing what he wants us to do? He's asking us questions. He's we're to examine ourselves. Someone may say, I'm a Christian, and I'm on my way to heaven. I belong to Christ. But, but, if he doesn't do what Christ tells him to, he's a liar. Pretty strong words, sobering words. But those who do what Christ tells them will learn to love God more and more. That is the way to know whether or not you are a Christian. Anyone who says he is a Christian should live as Christ did. Pretty sobering words here, guys, because tomorrow morning when I'm at the coffee shop or I'm on my job, wherever I'm at, if I'm not living like Christ is living, then according to what I've just read here, I'm not a Christian. I, I, I've lost my relationship. I'm not protecting the relationship that I think I have. It's been stolen away from me. And all I'm saying here is I'm just reading the, God's word as clearly as I can and say, man, if it's really that important to me, I've got to protect it. I've got to value it. Are we really concerned with, what, if, with doing what God's asking us to do? I mean, let's just pause and think about that for a minute. Let's not rush through this for a minute because this is pretty heavy stuff. This is the stuff that frees us. Are we really growing in our love for Jesus every day? Think about it. Examine your life today versus what it was six months ago. Now, I know it's hard to go day to day because I have my bad days and I have my good days. I get that. But go back six months. Look at your life today. Where are you at in your level of love with the Lord? Are you higher, the same, or lower? Only you can know that. 
we are to grow in our love for Christ day by day. Are we trying to live for Jesus? Are we trying to live like Jesus? See, we need this. We need this. Our obedience to the teaching of Scripture must be our first priority. And I say this so lovingly because I know how hard it is. Romans chapter 6, verses 11 through 13, Paul tells the Romans, he said, In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. Wow. We're transformed. Before we had a relationship with God, we were dead. We were born dead. (laughs) We were born dead. But when I have that relationship with the Lord, he brings me alive. Now I have to protect that life. I have to protect that. I have to guard that. What does that mean? How do I do that? What's your thought life like? What do you think about when you have an idle time to to daydream? What are you dreaming about? What do you think about when you see a good-looking guy or a good-looking woman walk by? Are you offended or angry if someone says some things? And do you find yourself rehearsing all the bad thoughts or words you want to tell the other person because you're angry? I don't know how many times I've been guilty of that. I spend time rehearsing how I'm going to tell that person what my mind is all about rather than saying, God, help me to forgive that person. We're to take our thoughts captive as in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought, every thought, not just some thoughts, We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. This takes work, folks. It takes work. It takes effort. It takes intentionality in our living. I take every thought that comes through my mind, and I measure it against God's word. And if it doesn't measure up against God's word, I take it captive, and I destroy it. I don't give it a foothold. I don't give it an opportunity in my life where I can dwell on that thought. That breaks relationships. That takes away my power. It takes away my authority. It takes me out of God's blessings. No, I take it captive. We take responsibility for my thought life. What about our daily actions? What about the things we do every day that are so small and so innocent? There are many times that we allow ourselves to be taken out of relationship by the little sins. The little ones, the small s. Not the big capital S sin, but the little ones. The little white lies, the little things that we do that, uh, I, just that pencil that I stole. <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't know what it is in your life, but it doesn't amount to much. But I tell you what, as those things add up, God sees the heart, right? And he sees the intention. It's called deception. We can find ourselves being deceived so easily that we need to guard our hearts by examining what we do on a daily basis. Examine our hearts. Ephesians chapter 5, starting at verse 1. Paul is again coming right at us. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. (laughs) Follow God's example. Read the words. As dearly loved children. He's not angry with us. We're We're not being abused. No, we're dearly loved children. And walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Okay, and that's the good words. Now comes the little hard words. But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving, for of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, or because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. This is important. 
this is important. And we're not going to rush through this because these are the things that will define us as powerful Christians or will reduce us to be like everybody else. As one of God's holy people, I have a responsibility to live in a relationship with God that isn't hindered in any way. I need to protect it. I need to protect it. See, it's the simple things in life that the, that the enemy uses to trap us. It says even the appearance or a hint. A hint? What's a hint? What's a hint? Did I actually do anything? Or is it just a suggestion? I know. A hint. Obscene language, coarse jokes, foolish talk. What's our attitude when we speak to our people at work? What's our attitude? See, if we live in a world that's very different than what a true follower of Christ lives in, in order to protect our relationship with Christ, we need to be different. We need to be set apart. We need to be holy. We need to protect our prayer time. Thirdly and lastly, we need to protect the time that we have with God. Do we have a time set aside every day to meet with Him? Do we have a time where we intentionally meet with the Lord? Or do we just make it on my drive to work? Or when I have a spare, spare few minutes? If it's just when I have a spare few minutes or when I can get to it later in the day, quite honestly, if you're like me, you don't get to it. Be honest. Or it's relatively short. My drive to work, all of a sudden, I'm mad at somebody, right? But there are things that we do that distract us and we think, well, I'm going to pray to God then. I'll take care of it then. And all of a sudden, I get distracted and I'm not doing it. So ultimately, I'm not doing it. If, if you go back to the beginning, Genesis 3, 8, and 9, then a man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from him the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called out to them, where are you? Why did he call out, where are you? Why? Because they had a set time of the day. They normally came and, and, and got together in the cool of the day, and it was expected for them to be there. And so when they didn't show up, God said, hey, where are you guys? We had an appointment. We didn't show up. That's the kind of prayer time we need to have. We need to protect it. I need to have a prayer time. Jackie, could you come, please? The question I'm asking us this morning, do we have a set time where you grow and maintain your relationship with the Lord? Do you have a set time? Do you think it's important to? I'm hoping that through this conversation that we're having today, you'll see the importance of having one, that it's more than just saying, God, I'll get to it when I get to it, because that doesn't show a priority in life. You see... There's going to come a day when we're all going to stand before, the, before God and we're going to give him an account. And can I just say it as lovingly as I can that I'm going to be very concerned with God thinks of me then. When I'm standing before him come judgment day, believe me, I'm going to be very concerned what he thinks of me. So if I'm going to be concerned with what he's thinking of me then, shouldn't I be concerned with what he's thinking of me now? Because that's going to be the result of what I'm doing right now. If I'm not living for him, if I'm not protecting the relationship with him, if I'm not putting him first in all my things, if I'm not making sure that I do have that time, then when I get to him, then it's too late. And I'm going to say, oh, God, what did I do? And he'll say, I gave you every opportunity to. I was there so many times and you weren't there. I called out for you. Where are you? You didn't show up. Now, let me be very honest this morning. When I was preparing this, I asked myself the question. And I said, God, am I asking too much of the people today? Am I asking too much of them with this message? Am I asking, am I, am I preaching too hard today? And can I tell you that the answer he gave me was no? You're not asking too much, Mark. No more than did I ask too much of Jesus when I asked him to leave heaven to be your sacrifice. You see, if we can realize how much God asked of his son to leave heaven and come down and live in this crazy broken world and to die the, the kind of death that he had, if that wasn't too much to ask Jesus, then is it too much to ask us to have a dedicated prayer life? Is it too much to ask to stay unhindered in our life? Is it too much to ask to live a holy life? I don't think so. 
And some say, Mike, you're placing a lot of legality on us today. You're placing a lot of pressures, a lot of expectations on us that only, only radical people, only fanatical people live with us. Well, let me ask this question. Are you a radical employee because you're on time every day for work? Are you a radical person because you pay your mortgage on time? Are you a radical person because you spend time with your family and you want to make you want to be a good home provider? No, see, we look at that as that's a responsible person. That's a good employee. See, but as soon as we start talking about prayer, as soon as we start talking about commitment to the Lord, rather than saying, oh, that's a responsible, good Christian, no, we say, oh, that's radical. That's fanatical. And we don't need to live like that. Well, can I tell you very clearly, that's the devil talking to you? Because we are to be committed. We are to be committed in our prayer life. We are to be committed in our time with him. That's not radical. It's called being faithful and true and just. And that's who Jesus is coming back for. I love the psalmist, David. He said this. He said in Psalm chapter 27, verse 4, the one thing, the one thing I want from God, the thing I seek most of all is the privilege of meditating in his temple, living in his presence every day of my life. Delighting in his incomparable perfections and glory. That's what David was about. David wanted to be in relationship with God. Oh, is that what we want? Is that what you want this morning? That's what it takes. If we're going to be part of the few, if we're going to be part of the few that truly, truly, truly make it to heaven, we have to have this desire in our heart to press in and not let the cares of this world become distractions to take us out of the relationship with God the Father that he's sending his Jesus back for in the rapture and in our death. That's it. That's the gospel message, and we need to live by that. So this morning as we pray, pray specifically for your prayer life. I want to pray specifically that you think it's okay to get up 30 minutes early and pray. Or turn the TV off at night. Or do whatever you got to do, but please, please find a time that you are getting alone with the Lord and developing your relationship. I can't do it for you. Your wife or husband can't do it for you. You have to do it yourself. Let's pray. Father, when we come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, I know this your hard words to try to follow the, foots of, the footsteps of Jesus are very, very difficult. And Lord, I thank you that you are gracious. I thank you that you are forgiving. I thank you that you understand. But Lord, I do pray that you would give us the strength through the power of the Holy Spirit to live for you. It's not asking too much of us any more than it is asking too much of you to be the sacrifice. So Father, I pray that you would give us a commitment, a desire, a hunger, that we would protect the relationship. song that Jackie's playing and use this as an opportunity to practice it right now.
those words of me. I am no longer a slave to fear. Say it with me again. I am no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. I'm a child of God. Say that again. I am a child of God. Believe that this morning. Take that into your prayer time and be confident of who you are in Christ. You are a child of the Most High and He loves you more than what you can imagine. You are not bound to fear anymore. You are not bound to the frailties of this life anymore. You are a child of God. Walk in that today. Be encouraged in that today. Have strength and courage to move into this day as a child of the Most High. And be blessed as you go. In Jesus' name, amen.